Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Woke Blokes podcast. Ryan Hassan here, joined as always by Nick Sutherland from MindFit. Nico, how are you, mate? Hola. Hola. You're on the bed today. You're very relaxed. I am. I am. No, I was trying to get that behind me. I was trying to be central to it. So I was like an aura coming around me. An aura. Oh, yeah. You're a bit. It's an off kilter aura at the minute. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm out of balance at the moment. I'm moving house. So. Ah, so things things still settling down. I think it's a good example of how everything has a pro and a con to it. So we both had our rental houses for a couple of weeks after settlement of the new house. So it's been good because we've got to, I think you can do moving in two ways. You can smash it, just like get everything into your house and then figure it all out. But we've taken the other approach. So we've just bought bits and pieces and we've set the house up as we go. Right. But that's elongated the process. Yeah, okay. Okay. So it's a slightly smoother process, but it goes for a little bit longer as opposed to just trying to smash it out as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. It, is, it, is, it, is a, it is an upheaval as well, moving, you know, even with coming to Chiang Mai. I mean, for those who listened last week, you heard my wonderful airport story <laughs> that uh, took up the first 10 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> did that make the cut, did it? I haven't edited that one yet, but it's going to make the cut because we talk about it later in the show. That kind of be weird otherwise. Um, there's more to the story though, right? So, so, don't, don't no, go into it. Nick, Nick I'll, I won't, I'll pick up where I left off. So like, it fits well with what you were saying. Nick, uh, I'm so glad I'm on the bed. I'm just going to... Mate, no, Nick, no, don't, don't. No, I'm ready. I'm going. I'm ready. Once Go. we release last week's episode, I'm expecting an influx of emails, direct messages, just saying more of Ryan's stories, please. <laughs> From who, Ryan? My, my made-up accounts or make up some accounts. <laughs> Your mum? Riser69 at hotmail.com. Oh, more of those stories, thanks. Um, <laughs> I, saw, I, saw, I saw a sticker on a YouTube that I say, MILF Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about it until he came with that shitty email address. A MILF hunter. <laughs> MILF hunter across the, like in big letters across the front top of the windscreen. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, what? I'd love to sit and have a chat with that dude. Not for too long. It's the kind of guy you're like, I'm really interested in getting to know this guy. And then you'd sit around after about 10 minutes. You're like, yeah, okay, I think I know enough now. <laughs> <laughs> Just so curious as to how did he come here? But he's sitting there one night having a beer and then another beer. Oh, no, he'd probably be having a bourbon or something. And then, oh, fuck yeah, Milf Hunter across the front of me. Uh, you, that, yeah, that'd that'd look awesome. fantastic. And he'd, like ask, me, he'd ask his mates, so like, that'd be, yeah, mate, go for it. Because they know, just let him go because he's going to do it anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, Milf Hunter. Milf Hunter. So this, this is a good, like leads on from what you were saying, Nick, like you get a bit unbalanced when you have a big change to your environment. And so mm. I had um, all this trouble getting here with the airport stuff. Please tune into last week's show, listen to the story. It's a ripper. And um, we finally, we finally get here. Right. And then Melissa's been uh, talk, emailing a bike or scooter company. Cause we need to like get a, a couple of bikes. So that's in the main part of Chiang Mai, which is about 10 minutes from where we are. And so we organize a car to go in there and then, um, 
the bike that we had two blocks we had a normal scooter and one with a baby seat like the one in the front for tommy but the one with the baby seat wasn't ready yet they hadn't installed it so we've only got the the bike without it so then we have to drive from the middle of chiang mai back to here and it's a lot more busy than samui like it's way more hectic so like i don't i didn't even know the way home right so we we after a while and some and some panic on some big roads we finally get home settle in for the night and the next day i get up kind of first day in chiang mai and i'm like all right i'll go out and try and find somewhere to eat and there's not much english going on here and i've been in thailand for fucking eight months i should have learned a little bit more thai than just uh (laughs) hello and thank you (laughs) (laughs) but in samui like people quite spoke english not too bad so it was like yeah weren't forced to which i should have forced on myself but anyway, i'm trying to find somewhere to eat and like nothing's in english and no one speaks english and so i'm getting i'm getting quite overwhelmed you know i'm like gee am i going to be able to settle into this place this is a bit rough anyway i'm still trying to find somewhere to eat and i get lost up some back streets and end up in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and then i'm driving along and off the side of the road in sort of the jungle i see a body um of some guy and i'm like holy shit is that guy he looks dead right and so I drive and I'm going down a hill and at the same time a Thai guy was coming up the hill and he slowed down and kind of stopped and I had to go to sort of the bottom of the hill and turn around and I turned around and came back and another Thai guy had stopped and these two guys had tried to move him and the dude was dead. Like it was full of sort of dead body. Yeah, it was intense because like they went to move him, you know, an unconscious body is like really floppy. This dude was stiff mm. as a board when they tried to mm. move him. So they were calling, I don't know, an ambulance or someone to come pick him up. And so anyway, after that, I found somewhere to eat, which was kind of pointing at pictures on a still menu. Still has your appetite? I still haven't funnily enough. I'm still, when I'm hungry, <laughs> nothing's putting me off my appetite. But I kind of, I remember I got home after that and I was like, oh, how was your lunch? And I'm like, oh, babe, I don't know about this place. And I was really, um, I've only, you know, in the last few days probably actually settled in here because it's been a, such a shock to the system, this new environment, mm. um, which is like moving house. That You, you know, we, we like that familiarity of sort of knowing where things are, not just in our house, but locally and, and having that feeling of comfort. And it can take a while. Well, we're, we're noticing that when moving, so we're deconstructing two houses, so my house and then Em and her kids' house, and then we're reconstructing one house. And so initially it was going to be me, Em, and her daughter, but now her son's moving in as well. Right. So the dynamic keeps changing, the goalpost keeps shifting. She's trying to throw a heap of stuff out, and the kids keep diving into the trailer going, no, but I love that, and they keep pulling it out of the trailer. And we're like, yeah, we're just going to have a real minimalist approach. Now, today, we've gone and hired a bloody storage unit. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just constant changing and adapting and shifting and it's it's really been really interesting yeah yeah and that's um yeah but then then you get to a well, point you're where you're out sort of, of source you're out of source yeah yeah but then you yeah. get to a point where you kind of take a deep breath and you're like okay i feel like i've got a grasp on you know where i fit into this new environment well i had the keys to my rental that I was living in back uh, on monday and then hands hers back on thursday so once those two houses are gone completely and, and we don't have to do we're not sort of between three houses still and then when we can sort of yeah clean this up a bit it just takes time to settle into mm. a new normal and to create a new normal like it it takes communicating it you know she, she's come in with with her patterns and habits and i've come in with my patterns and habits and the kids have come in with theirs and now so there's all these different dynamics and energies and um yeah you've really got to try and 
take a proactive approach and okay well this is where i'm coming from where are you coming from da, 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 da. Mm. Yeah. yeah 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 no it's interesting and uh yeah i felt a direct correlation between feeling better and when i started having coffee again funnily enough so coffee makes you feel better <laughs> i didn't have any i went a little bit over a month uh no mm. not just coffee but hot caffeine in general and yep. um I feel like when I've done, I haven't had coffees in the past. I do it like maybe once a year. I'll just stop having coffee. But I, I must have in the past stopped coffee, but maybe still had a, I might have had a couple of teas here and there. And maybe when I was out, had a, you know, some Coke in a bourbon or something mm. and just sort of not realized because it definitely felt a lot different this time, the experience, like fully like no caffeine whatsoever. Um, felt different on the, on the detoxing side at first when I stopped because I was mm. like, holy shit, I'd like, headaches for a week it was weird <laughs> and um and, and then and you started buying buying milk stickers as well with your bourbon and coke <laughs> <laughs> it was funny before we we left samui i was at a, a bar i sort of went to a few times and the guys there were great and um i just would get a mojito or something there and they're like oh we're well, going we'll get you you know a special drink you know what do you want and i'm like oh whatever you're like oh long island iced tea i'm like oh shit i know that's got like five different bloody <laughs> alcohol in it but I, I was that strict that i'm like what do you what's in it and they'll tell me ah oh, we've got a uh, white rum bourbon i'm like no no no. what's the mixer they're like oh little bit of lemon soda and cola i'm like yeah no cola like i'm off caffeine so i had this drink i was like rocket fuel jesus christ <laughs> five different alcohol and it's a tiny bit of like lemon spritz just to, to mix mm. it i'm like jeez could i breathe you know when you have you ever met one of your idols or one of your heroes that's a good question i, I don't in the flesh no give, give me an example oh you've obviously got a story or something yeah. Um, so I, I was very fortunate to have a friend ring me at the big day out many years ago in 2011, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and Tool were headlining and Ramstein were, head, were head co-headlining. Ah, I went to that one. A good one. Yeah. And so one day my mate rings me. He goes, Roy, I said, I'm at big day out. He goes, I've got backstage tickets for Tool. Um, do you want to come and meet the band and, and watch, the, watch the show from side stage? And I'm just like, nearly... I didn't know Amazing. about this, Nick. Oh, I'm excited for this. Yeah, how was uh, it? Haven't I shown you? The, okay. No. So I'm, I'm, I'm like just ditched everyone I was there with this new girl I was seeing. I'm like, I just palmed everyone <laughs> off. I'm like, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but this dude is giving me this lanyard with tool backstage. And I've, I've still got it. I found it in the move. I'm like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway got to watch the, the band from side stage and, and I'm a drummer and Danny Carey is my idol. The he's God. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Neil at the altar of Danny Carey. Um, and so I got to watch him perform live three or four metres away. And, wow. and he's just, just, and I, I, I don't think I blinked for the whole set. I was just a majority. Uh, and I was just absorbed in this experience. It was like my eating the orange story. I was following every drumstick and doing, doing. Um, anyway, so gig finishes, ramps time were awesome. Went backstage and, and we're just holding these lanyards up and the security's like, oh, I've never even seen these. Yeah, okay, we'll keep going. So we get there and we're backstage and then um, – walk into this room there's danny carey there's adam jones there's um justin chancellor uh, maynard wasn't there he apparently he as soon as the 
goes. He, he quits and heads into town and goes and catches up with friends. Yeah. So so three of the four band members are there. And they're like, oh, g'day, guys. And we're, we're, my mate who got me the thing was from a poster company, and they did the posters for the big day out for tool. So that's how, how we got the connection. And they're like, oh, you know, these are the, the dudes that did the posters. And they're like, thanks, guys. Do you want a drink? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, what are you having? And Danny Carey walks up and goes, apple teeny. <laughs> he's such a big he's, dude as well he's, he's six like, foot six he's he's a tree trunk of a man and he walks up with his dainty apple teeny and i was just like this is awesome <laughs> i love and it and their partners were there and the partners were having beers and everything and oh it was just it was, it was the best night of my life it was just, <laughs> Sitting there drinking apple teenies with uh, with tool. That's awesome. I love that. Oh, what a I'm visual! For those for those who don't, no, no, that's the first time I've heard it. Yeah, for for those there'll be listeners who know tool. For those who don't, look up Danny Carey, and you'll see the visual of him makes it even funnier. Him just saying what happened an apple teeny. <laughs> this drum, <laughs> the drum god Bohemoth himself. You couldn't have picked it. Like if you said, "Guess what drink Danny Gary has after a show?" Appletini would be the furthest thing <laughs> no, no. from your mind. <laughs> no, I, when, so. when you said he came up with, and I'm like in my head, I was reeling through different drinks. I'm like, I don't know what he's going to come up with here. Appletini was not one of the options that was going around my brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, Appletinis, it is great. <laughs> what, whatever you're on. having, Danny. <laughs> Yep, exactly. If it'll make me drum better, I'm on it. <laughs> unreal, unreal. Uh, so today we're going to talk about how to be healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, so yeah. before we do that, we have to – I said to a client this morning, and as I said with all my clients, um, do you want to be happy? Yes, of course you do. What's the definition of happiness? And then it's just crickets playing in the backgrounds. And they're like, yeah, I don't actually know. And I'm like, it's interesting, isn't it? So many people are wanting to be happy, chasing happiness, trying to be happy, you know, just expecting them that they should be happy. But no one really knew what happiness is. Mm. And uh, the same with health, I think. A lot of people go, yeah, let's get healthy. And in, in the very first session I have with clients, we do these three interlocking circles where we've got mental health, physical health, and nutritional health. Uh, we don't go into spiritual. I sort of link that behind mental health a little bit. Um, and I, I just sort of keep it simple and say these two things create our well-being essentially. Um, and so many people are focused on going to the gym and exercising and looking after their physical health and they, they'll meal prep and then be mindful of their, their eating habits and choices. But, 99% of people are neglecting their mental health because they don't know they've got it. So I think this is a great episode where we can really reinforce or, or help educate people about what health is and yeah, how we can start being healthier. Exactly. Yeah, I think we have there's an association when someone says, oh, I'm going to be healthy or what does health look like to you? And it'll be like, you know, do with like washboard abs, you know, in a magazine or, or a sports star or yeah, you, Nick. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, or you know the girl in in the you know bikini and everything and and looking fit and that kind of jazz. Nick, that's you also. Um, and Dean Lately. It's funny, <laughs> Danny Lately. Um, and it's it's funny because 
those ideas of health that, you know, have sort of been forced down our throat for a long time. It's like those, if you've met, and I used to do a lot of work in that with, you know, fitness models and that kind of thing. At the time those photos are taken, that's a seriously unhealthy, just, and we're, this is just from a physical point of view, let alone the other stuff we're going to talk mm. about today. But in that moment, that picture is taken that we would look up to and say, this is my goal or what I want to achieve. They are in a not a good state. Like, you know, that's that they're preparing for that one day. So it's not even sustainable. Um, it's not even a healthy state to be in. And it's also um, oftentimes photoshopped. It's not even them. <laughs> to, to, in, just, in reality. Just, go back a step. just go back to the sentence where you said, I did a lot of work with fitness models. What, what exactly was your role? And were you the oil boy or were you? That's right. I was the coconut oil boy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little milky bar kid for the coconut oil boy. Um, no, no, I did. I was, uh, you know, I did some work with a health company in supplements and that kind of jazz. And then I'd also done when I first uh, was doing the therapy work, I saw a few fitness models because I had, you know, um, connections to that supplement biz and, and a lot of them are struggling with their mental health, funnily enough. Mm, um, mm. So, and yeah, just, just seeing what people went through to, you know, get to a photo shoot or to go to a competition, whether they're doing, you know, physique competition or bikini body or that kind of jazz. And, you know, getting down to this, you know, body fat so low, um, it's not sustainable. Uh, women will lose their period because their body actually goes, you're not, you're not even fit to give birth right now. That's how unhealthy you are. So they they won't have their, they'll stop menstruating and, um, you know, they're dehydrated, uh, it actually, you, you see people in that state, their brain can start to shrink um, mm. because it's not getting all the nutrients and that that it needs. So yeah, that, that's sort of the context that I met. I've just seen a lot of people go up into competitions or photo shoots and that kind of thing. Whereas, yeah. whereas so that's just, we started on that because like what's our association with the word health? Um, so right now, I think that a better association of health is maybe just someone with a massive, genuine smile on their face, <laughs> right? Well, I think it's a great it's a great episode to follow up from the, um, the chat we had last week. Um, with Glenn? Uh, yeah, from the Australian Men's Health Forum. Yep. And, you know, and I, I said to him, um, well, I found it really interesting when I learnt the definition of health, which was um, complete mental, physical, and something well-being, and mm -hmm. not just the merely of not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. Mm -hmm. So it's so health isn't just not being sick. Health is actually thriving. Yes. So if you if you look at a plant, it's not just a plant that's alive; it's a plant that's flourishing and flowering and everything. Yeah, it's a my good friend Holly Sinclair, who we're going to get on the show, um, who's a health and nutrition whiz, and you know the work I've done with her doing um, blood work, stool samples, all that kind of jazz, and so you get very uh, um, individualized nutrition plan and that kind of thing but then when you get say blood work done you get the results back and it's got the in the brackets like here's your levels of say vitamin d and here's the levels mm -hmm. that you should be in but then when she sends me her report her levels are very very different because she said those levels that they recommend and like recommended daily intake for things that you see on the back of supplements or food um mm -hmm. that like you said those are the like clinical numbers that you need to not get sick. So to not be in some sort of mm. chronic illness state where she calls them instead of, instead of this, the whatever range they call that, then she has her optimal range, which is very different from those ones. It's like, we don't yeah. want to do we, like our goal shouldn't be, I just so want to not be sick. Higher. Yeah. We yeah. want to, like you said, we want to be thriving, not just, just getting by and not being chronically ill. 
but it's also when when we when we mention health, people will automatically go to that mental and physical, so nutrition and exercise, as you said, because we've been brainwashed into thinking that's all it is. Because the perception of mental health has always had that negative connotation to it. It's always been linked with suicide, depression, bipolar, personality disorder, whatever, the, schizophrenia, suicide, whatever the case may be. Mm. So there's been such a, um, a period of ignorance in a literal sense that um, has created what, what everyone calls this stigma that we have to break um, but I think it's just a perception that we have to change or re-educate people on. Yeah. Um, but it's good because now we are starting to learn that you know, mental health is part of health and that we, we can actually do things to, to get our mental health in shape and to keep it there. And that's really the key. Look, that the, the people who are physically trying to get in this shape or this ideal goal weight or whatever they're trying to do, you know, if you really quiz them on it, they're, they're trying to... Um, actually improve their mental health because they think when i get yeah. to this certain body fat percentage or i lose this certain amount of weight then i'll be happy or i'll feel okay yeah and then it's it's this false this false uh goal it's like chasing a rainbow because you get there and you're like oh i'm still not happy well there's got to be something else that i can do or i'm doing it because if i get to this certain state of health then other people will say wow look at you look how healthy you are look how hot you are wow look how buff you are and so they're kind of outsourcing their happiness so it's all really this mental health issue going on underneath the surface but they also feel good when they're exercising because of the endorphins that are being created and they think that's what makes me feel good. And so they get addicted to going to the gym and doing that. And so when we look at people's relationships with everything and through my program, we, we look at exercise and quite often we'll find that someone thinks that they're going to the gym in a healthier way, but in fact, it's actually a codependent relationship. Yep. Um, yeah. So it's it's not actually healthy. Yeah, I love that. It's like we should be really checking in with our relationships to everything. Like I tell, like there's nothing wrong with exercising. There's not, but you can have a dysfunctional relationship with exercising. It's like there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. You can have a dysfunctional like coffee. Nothing wrong with coffee. You can have a dysfunctional relationship with coffee. Methamphetamine. There's nothing. People won't like hearing this. There's nothing wrong with methamphetamine. There's nothing wrong with heroin. There is a problem with our relationship to it. You know, so it's like we get into these dysfunctional relationships. Hey, so I was chatting with a client the other day and we were talking about alcohol and I thought I looked at alcohol as, as unhealthy, as a, it's a poison. If you ask your body, does it like alcohol? Does it think alcohol? It'll say no, I imagine, because of what the body has to do to process it and everything. So... A lot of people say, I've got a healthy relationship with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it may be semantics I'm getting hung up on, but I was like, how can we have a healthy relationship with something that's unhealthy? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's a good question um, because a lot of people who say they have a healthy relationship with something, that's why like, I stopped coffee because I would say, it's fine, I just have these two coffees a day, whatever. But then I'm like, well, let's test that, right? So let's just, that's Michael Singer's, uh, it's not his teaching, it's the ancient yogic teaching, but it's like, if you want to know why you do something, don't do it and watch what happens. So that's why people who say I have a healthy relationship with alcohol, then don't do it for a bit and just make sure that you do. And oftentimes people who say that they do don't because when they stop doing it, they're craving it, they're wanting to do it. Like I need to do it in social situations. But let's say from my point of view, let's say that 
Uh, a healthy relationship with alcohol is I don't really think about it. It's not like I am drinking or I'm not drinking. It's not a big deal. But if I'm out, you know, with someone, I'm having a really good time and I want to, and they're getting a bottle of wine and we share a bottle of wine and we connect and have a lot of laughs and that kind of thing. There's like, yes, there may be a toxic element physically to having the alcohol, but then what about all the positive element from this great connection or great catch up that I've had with a friend and, and maybe so the net benefit is actually greater in that instance for my overall health. But if you, if you are out and, and you bump into a friend and say, let's have a wine and you have this great connection and everything but you're meant to be elsewhere so you change your priorities in that moment start neglecting these other responsibilities because mm. that decision will have a ripple effect yeah it's not going to so be that, good or bad well, yeah then then the, the net effect starts to sort of go the other way because there's, there's so many factors that go into everything it's like it's not just um having a glass or two of wine or not or it's not like eating a certain thing or not there's like all these other factors as well like whether when you sit down to eat a meal you know you can have the exact same meal it can be healthy or whatever but if i sit there and i'm scoffing the meal and i'm looking at emails and i'm doing it, i scoff it and and run off and do the next thing as opposed to mindfully sitting down and slowly you know uh, being grateful for every bite and letting things sit and nourish the body that same meal will show up very differently biochemically in the body yeah, so it's consuming versus eating mindfully. And when when I was helping people to create a positive mindset when they were trying to lose weight, um, they'd say, I'm eating really healthy. And I said, what does that mean? And they'd be like, oh, well, I'm eating lettuce and salad and this and that. And I'm like, oh, to what quantity? Like they were only looking at the quality and thinking that was healthy, but not the quantity. And, and this is the same thing with the gym. The quality of of that ex energy expenditure is healthy yes i'm exercising but the quality if you're doing it six or seven days a week is not healthy mm. so when we're looking at food we're saying to people you have to learn what your body's nutritional needs are you you and your best friend can't go on the same diet mm. because you've got different body shapes that operate differently and everything so there's eating healthy food and having a healthy eating habit, um, but eating healthy overall is is meeting your body's energy requirements. So it's the it's a quality and the quantity. Yeah, so true. I like that. It's no, and you've got to incorporate fluid into that as well. So whatever you're consuming, solid or liquid, so alcohol, soft drink, water etc yeah oh that's where so many people get caught up because they're like oh look at just their food meanwhile they're having you know a two liter bottle of coke a day yeah. <laughs> and they don't count the liquid uh calories which are the most they're very uh dense um with energy um and same with exercise like i said you know there's no cookie cutter approach what works for you won't um necessarily work for someone else and you know with exercise totally. like like for me like i, I just hate running like if I, if I had someone telling me or I was doing some program, they're like, oh, you just need to run um, every day for 15 minutes, then that would be a net. Um, it wouldn't work for me. I might do it for a couple of days and I'd be like, fuck this, I don't want to do it anymore. And then I might beat myself up because I'm like, oh, I should be running and I'm not. Whereas other people, they love running. You know, my, my best mate, he loves running. He like actually gets that runner's high. I get the runner's low, <laughs> whatever that is. Whereas like, whereas I, you know, I love, I go to the gym and I lift weights and I've kind of done similar-ish kind of weight routines for over 10 years and I still love it. Whereas to someone else, that'd be just piss boring to them and they wouldn't keep up doing it. 
You might want to increase the the weight of those weights, mate. Uh, Des and Troy are looking a bit floppy. Oh, no, there he is. Hello, Des. Yeah, don't worry about that. Um, that was just the camera angle. I'm getting pretty shredded at the minute, mate. The Muay yeah, Thai yeah. is helping. Mm. I, it's, so people love or hate running. It seems to be a very polar, polarizing sort of thing. Uh, and I think meditation is the same because a lot of people say, oh, I hear that I have to meditate, but I hate meditating or I don't like meditating. And and that I find it curious. I'm like, hmm, what, what? I don't think you can hate running per se. I think you can not enjoy the feeling of doing it while you're doing it, but you can't hate running as such, mm. can you? And you, you can't hate meditating. Like you, you can you can not, uh, not like having to stop and and be still for a while that may that may cause a lot of agitation but then that would mean all the more reason to do it perhaps uh maybe because if yeah. you if you can't do it then then if you have an aversion to it i wonder yeah coming but from. we can we can do it it's not like i can't run or someone can't meditate but like you can't do it you just you they just tell don't. themselves they can't meditate they say let's just say i can't meditate yeah yeah they but that's the you can't <laughs> like just, you don't you don't like what it feels like when you do it so you have an aversion to it like me with running yeah. like I know yeah. that I'll run and I won't particularly enjoy it and I'll get back and go all right I feel I might feel a little bit okay afterwards but I would, I would rather do other things to get my heart rate up. But I, I never I never used to like mustard and I always told myself I don't like mustard. Then one day I was somewhere and I went oh fuck it I'll try it again and yeah. I kept trying it and then I ended up really liking mustard. I so, like that with peanut butter. Yeah, so as I a kid, I'm like, caught... I hated it, and I didn't have it for years. And then when I was older, I had it, and I'm like, this is fantastic. Why have I been avoiding this? <laughs> so that's that limiting belief that we create. I hate running. It's, it's, yeah. it's a very fixed, it's a concrete uh, thing. So that's that's what I was getting at. We don't hate running. We just create a belief that we don't enjoy running or we hate it. But if we keep trying things sometimes, then we grow to like them perhaps. Maybe, maybe, but then I'm just, I'm, I agree. And I'm just, I might become a runner in my forties. I don't know. But right now, if I was trying to improve that part of my life and I was told by someone, you got to go out and run and I had an aversion to that, then I oftentimes beat myself up because I won't stick. We won't, we won't do something that we feel is, is high on our values, you know? Well, so uh, uh, an exercise I take clients through is, so I live on the Mornington Peninsula and at the end of the peninsula is Portsea and, uh, then Melbourne is at the at the top of the bay, and it's how, how far do you reckon? Hundred k, maybe, possibly. Give it a break. And so I say to them, imagine, I said to you, I want you to run from the Portsea pub all the way up to Flinders Street Station in Melbourne. What would you say? And they're already shaking their head, going, Nope, yeah. nope, no, thank you. To take the week off fucked, work. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, Okay, cool. So. Oh, some people, very few people go, yeah, cool, no worries. And I'm like, mm, okay, <laughs> I've got to find something else to challenge you with. Um, rule of thumb, it works. And I say, all right, if I asked you to run from the Portsea pub to Flinders Street Station, and when you got to Flinders Street Station, there would be a chest of gold, you'd be handed the title to a new house and a new car, your kids would get the very best education, what would you say? And they're like, yeah, I'm already putting on my runners. And I'm like, ah, how interesting. So 
what's changed? Point A and point B are the same and the, the way of getting from point A to point B is still the same. So what's changed? Like, well, there's something in it for me. Uh, there it is. Yeah. It's the key to motivation. So yeah. it's either Im- imposed or enforced or productivity-based motivation. I have to. I have to run. Nick told me I have to run. Or it becomes vitality-based motivation where it's I want to. Well, I want to because there's going to be something in it for me at the end. There's going to yeah. be a benefit to it. So so that, yeah, it comes back to that values thing again. So this is like the Dr. John D. Martini be bangs on about values a lot. So we all have a hierarchy of values that we will make decisions based on. And, you know, those top four or five, you know, we'll, whenever something is linked to one of those, we're motivated when there's no question, we're happy to do something. But if you ask us to do something low on our values, we just, there's no motivation there. So it's like, if you have, uh, if you have financial security, you know, down at number 15, but shoes are at number five, whenever money comes into your possession, they're going to go to shoes as opposed to saving because mm-hmm. it's, it's your, your, your hierarchy of values determines that. So it says, if you want to try, get motivated about something you don't want to do, link it to what your highest values are. And that's what you do with that exercise. So whatever that, that person says, like having a big pot of gold, it's like, so finances are high on their values and also their kids are high on their values. So that running has also been all of a sudden been linked to the highest values. So there's motivation for it when there's just no juice behind it before. So he will often have, cause it can be a bit hard cause you can't actually give him a, a pot of gold or treasure at the end. But Dr. Martini would say, well, you need to sit down and whatever thing that you actually need to do. Cause ideally you want to delegate all the shit that you don't want to do. So you'd have someone run to the Flint street station, pick up the gold and take it back home for you. But if, if, if you're not in a position to do that and you have to undertake a task that you have low motivation, sit down and write 50, like he does it. This is like rewiring neurological pathways. So like 50 reasons how that this, doing this task links to your highest values. So if it's running, then it might be like, well, um, I don't want to, um, have heart disease because it runs in my family. I want to be around for my kids. Once again, if kids are high on the value, you can link it back to playing with your kids, being more active with them. And all of a sudden, the more things you link, the more kind of juice and motivation you start to get for the task. Yes. Yes. I just, you said something before, because I I must've used some black and white language or absolutist language. Um, I took a picture here. I am reading the eight master lessons of nature, um, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, so far, but yeah, he cited this, um, study, which is really interesting because he was talking about, uh, absolutist words in language. And there was a, uh, study done with in mental health chat rooms, uh, 6,400 people. So a big, a big selection of people and in the groups, uh, absolute people suffering with depression and anxiety, their absolutist language was 50% higher than the population at large and people who, are um, going through suicidal thoughts, their absolutist language was 80% higher than the, the community at large. So I just found that so interesting because so many times on the podcast, we've brought up black and white thinking and this saying like never or I never will or that kind of thing and how that black and or white thing. I hate, I hate running yep. is very absolute. So there's a strong link there based on that study between this absolutist language, black or white thinking and your mental health uh, deteriorating. Mm. Totally, because it's, it's we're creating it's it's so rigid. It's like um, we become so inflexible. We can't adapt. We we get locked in, and instead of being open, it's that fixed mindset. It's sort of the growth mindset. So instead of continually evolving, which is part of what we're going to talk about today as well, 
instead of just continuing to evolve and to grow and and all that we we get locked in and fixed in and i hate running and that becomes a belief and so that that sort of um yeah it, it, it retards your growth in a literal sense mm. we don't we don't have to go running but we don't have to have this i hate running either we can we can remain neutral about it yes oh yeah. running it exists there it's it is there it's there yeah. <laughs> i don't um, hate it because i can't actually hate running but i choose not to go running yes okay i choose not to run sorry seinfeld reference. well played um, <laughs> that's your decision <laughs> uh so let's wrap up the physical then um so i think we with exercise with nutrition we want to understand what our relationship is for the for the uh nutrition piece i try and you know walk this fine balance between seeing my few food as fuel so it's fueling my body not just my mental health all of this stuff but then also like really enjoying food as well i try and walk between these two because i don't want to just say oh, i love food and I, I enjoy it so i eat like pizza every meal because <laughs> i love that but um i don't want to just get stuck as well with this because i went through a period of being very binary with that and just saying food is fuel food is fuel food is fuel you know it doesn't matter if it tastes good or not, if I enjoy it, I've just got to get these certain, you know, mm. macro and micronutrients in. So I try and sort of dance between those two. What about if we kept in the back of our minds somewhere, in the recesses of our minds, this concept of health and well-being, and it incorporates nutrition, exercise, thinking in a healthy way, so training and conditioning our minds to operate a certain way, uh, and spiritual health as well so feeding our soul when we eat a beautiful meal at a restaurant with family or friends or a loved one or something it's feeding our body but it's also feeding our soul yeah or when we go for a hike in nature and we're exercising we're also feeding our soul mm -hmm. so when yeah. we sit down to meditate and look after our mental health we're feeding our soul so it's i think if we can encompass the whole thing and and not just expect to be healthy, not just have a desire to be healthy, but then aligning our beliefs to create the actions that then creates health as a byproduct is it makes it so much easier instead of operating on this. I have to, I have to eat healthy. I have to micromanage my food. I have to go to the gym here. It's, mm. you know, it gets back to that productivity based and we, and we lose that motivation quickly. But if we can, really get our head around that like brushing our teeth is healthy but we don't think about it we don't go i hate brushing my teeth this is something <laughs> that we incorporate into our daily life because we know deep down it's good for us yeah i used to as a kid i used to hate brushing my teeth yeah most kids do because yeah. it's an inconvenience because it's stopping us yeah. from playing yeah or, or it means we have to go to bed which means we're stopping playing yeah <laughs> and my dad my dad was so hectic with it i'm so glad that he was because now it's just so automatic i would never miss a night or morning brushing my teeth but my dad back in the you know 70s and 80s used to always chew chewing gum and that shit wasn't sugar-free back then so his teeth are, <laughs> his teeth are fucked right because he just oh, chewed yeah. sugar like all day every day and so he was very you know you gotta take care of your teeth kind of thing so i thank him for that um yeah, so I think what you said was really important. It's like we're this, we're this whole being and we're just splitting things up into four categories by saying physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, or, you know, like you do on the board with your clients, um, physical, mental, nutritional. We're just kind of splitting it up to try and get a bit of a better understanding. But really everything's 
interrelated. Everything affects everything else. They're not really Completely. separate parts. Like our, what we eat affects our mental health. How we exercise affects our mental health. But then our mental and emotional health also affects how we assimilate the nutrients that we eat. Well, the, the way that you think, if you're beating yourself up for not doing something, you're going to be in suffering and you're going to go towards a coping mechanism. So you're going to drink alcohol, which is calories, or you're going to drink and then eat pizza and the body processes, prioritizes the alcohol over the food. So that pizza is just going to sit there um, or we'll eat a tub of ice cream, you know. So it's all so intrinsically linked. If we neglect one of it, one element, we're, we're really neglecting the whole still. 100%. And, you know, if we're, if we're our, based on our mental and emotional health, we're in a sympathetic nervous system state, so hyperarousal, then when we eat, you know, the blood flow, there's not as much blood flow um, down in our digestion. There's more blood flow out to our extremities because we feel like we're about to take on some sort of tiger in the woods, which which in that <laughs> instance, our body's not tiger so concerned woods. about, oh, tiger, shot a bogey 368 Masters. today. I, I <laughs> By the time this comes out, it'll be well and truly over. But My, my, blood, my blood's flowed to another extremity. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you're wearing your glove. Um, so... Uh, just another thing that's popped up on that, which, which there's this fascinating study done with rabbits where they were had rabbits in a cage. So the, obviously with scientific studies, you're limiting variables. And what they were doing, they were giving them a really high fat diet and um, just monitoring their cholesterol and blood pressure. So they're just trying to prove that, you know, your blood pressure and cholesterol will go up if you give um, an animal a really high fat diet. And they ran this study. And um, most of the rabbits had the predicted outcome that they went up. But this certain section of rabbits, they stayed the same. There was no raise in blood pressure or cholesterol. And they, they were scratching their head because they just couldn't fucking work out. They, tried, they were breaking down everything. They couldn't work out. Where's this variable coming from? Why? So they ran it again and had the same results. And they found out the one variable, what was happening, these rats were all in cages up on a wall in this lab, wherever it was. And the girl who would look after them uh, during the night, she had like the night shift or whatever, doing other work, but she'd monitor the rats. At nighttime, she would take the rats because it was a row of cages and she couldn't reach the higher ones. All the, uh, sorry, the rabbits on the bottom row of cages at night, she was bored. She'd take them out of their cage and pat them and hug them <laughs> one at a time. And they're like, that can't be the fucking variable because like, these scientists are like, it's just mm. the diet, you know? So they ran the experiment again and did the same thing and got the same results. The ones that were taken out and had got patted and loved as opposed to the ones stuck in a cage with nothing to do, their blood pressure and that was fine. So that shows that, you know, things are all interrelated. Everything's connected to everything else. Yeah, so if we, if we don't attend to ourselves as a whole, you know, when, it, when it, we're going to neglect the whole part of us, but yet it's hilarious how many, as I said before, many people are walking around with an expectation that I should be happy. The definition of happiness is to be content and to you know just feel inherently at peace and and connected and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But if we're constantly in conflict with ourselves, let alone people around us, we're going to be in a constant state of discontent. And therefore, we're going to go and try and get things to make us feel better. And that's going to have a ripple effect. As I said, you catch up with your friend for a while, you're neglecting all these things and that adds up. And then tomorrow you've got so much to do. And then you're, you're in that 
sympathetic nervous system then you're just snacking on the go and you're rushing you're busy and you know two weeks later you're, oh i'm so burnt out i'm so stressed it all started from not managing yourself in the moments yes. a couple of weeks earlier yeah it's so true this this now leads on to mental and emotional it's like the the degree of discontent which i loved your word there that degree of discontent internally will be a direct correlation to the amount of discontent happening in the world outside of you you know, it's like we will, however much discontent I've got inside is the amount of discontent I'll find with my partner, with my family, my friends, my work. So it's like once we start to clean up our own house, then like I said, we are able to be more present with what is. And, you know, yeah. so if someone, if my, my partner says something, then all of a sudden I can be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. As opposed to if when I was in discontent, I'm like, how dare you say that? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm just creating more and more drama. Well, discontent is created by those cognitive distortions. So yep. it's that comparing, well, I would have done this. Why didn't you do that? You know, instantly your mental health is now out of shape because your, yeah. your thinking, your cogni cognitions have become distorted. So you have a distorted reality. You are in a distorted reality. So therefore you are, in a literal sense, delusional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how often... And how many people are walking around in this delusion? And it's the majority. I suppose we all are. Like we're all yeah, in some exactly. sort of we're all in a delusion or an illusion. But it's like what what illusion do I want to create? Do I want to create one of, <laughs> of, of, of having more content and peace and being able to be with whatever the moment is in front of me? Or do I want to keep going around, like you said, with these cognitive distortions, this absolutist thinking, this you should never have done that or I should never have done that. Mum should have never treated me this way when I was six. You know, all of this stuff that is going to cause more of a, uh, an, a delusion that we don't want as opposed to an illusion that, that might be better for us. So that comes back to that attachment what we don't want is the aversion so we have an attachment to an aversion of experiencing something or we have an attachment to a desire to experience more because it made me feel good so either way we're outsourcing our happiness again yeah so that learning to become inherently happy and live in the reality of what is rather than the reality of what i think should happen or what could potentially happen or what i would do um yeah it's just it's it's <laughs> we're just it's so, it's so <laughs> irrational the way we live is so irrational it's like it's it's, it's always it's like we always have this idea of what needs to happen in the outside world and we're like okay always i, is it? I just need i just need a b and c to happen and then everything's fine but then once abc have happened there's another abc <laughs> it's different things but there will always be an abc or they'll always yeah, the same with but like it's this crave it's the constant craving it's that i i need this to feel fulfilled i need this to feel better instead of just waking up every morning going hmm today i am enough and today i have enough like yeah. practice that mantra if you're listening write that down on a post-it note stick it on your bedside table on your bathroom mirror today i am enough and today i have enough and just repeat that as often as you can throughout the day for a couple of weeks and see what happens exactly and the reality is nothing will change in that external world you'll still have the same amount of knives and forks you'll still have the same amount of kids you still have the same car everything will be the same but it will feel different you'll experience it completely differently because you've changed your yeah. perception yeah and 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 to get really you know why that's so true it's like everything that's happening is actually happening inside our own head so it's like 
It's like me, me looking at you now. I'm not seeing you on a computer screen or if we're in person, no. I'm not seeing you sitting across from me. Light is bouncing off you into my eyes and rendering through my brain. And I'm creating a construct of Nick. <laughs> so you're, you're existing in my head, right? But also you will never see yourself. Correct. You will see a reflection of yourself or a construct of yourself, but you will never see you because your eyes are in your head. So you can't see the forest, you being the forest, for the trees because your eyes are in your head. Yeah. It's it's like I remember for the first time, it was years ago, Melissa like nudged me, we were in bed and I, she had YouTube up and I was like half asleep and she goes, oh, watch this. And there was this Indian, you know, sage up on a stage talking and he was saying that, he goes, I'm in your head right now. Like you're experiencing me in your and and every single thing that you experience in, in this whole life is happening in your head. And now I'm like, oh fuck, I'm not gonna be able to get to sleep now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because you've got these senses. So essentially, imagine we're all walking around in a in a dark void, but with this story playing in our minds because we're hearing these things and we're, we're detecting and we're picking all this stuff up and so then it's all just a crazy mess out there but we're formulating it and constructing it in in our minds it's yep. it's, crazy, it's crazy it's, it's like it. it's like um if i sit there and look at something with someone who is let's say colorblind um, which just means they see something differently because we can kind of look at a color and then like the majority of humans decide, oh, I think I see that color. It's called orange or whatever, you know, but I sit yeah. there with a colorblind person and they say, nah, it's brown. And then, mm. okay, that's, it's very true for both of us. And that's just one variable of color. We, we're all got a different, uh, we're all a different blindness to reality mm. to an extent. But so is the animals. Story. Animals see things completely different to us. Yeah. So that example there, you see it as orange, they see it as brown. If you use that binary thinking, it's black and white thinking or brown and orange Orange thinking, and brown thinking. <laughs> and you say you're wrong, that says more about you than it exactly. says Exactly. And that's, that's where everyone gets into a uh, problem because someone might have an opinion or they watch a movie and they say, something, no, you're wrong. It's like, no, they're not wrong. They're exactly they're right. their reality. Like you got to love that. You love yourself and love everybody else's opinion. Because if, if we were, if imagine if everyone saw things the same way that you or I did, like if everyone saw things the way I did, that'd be the it's most so boring beige. reality in, in the world. I'd be like, oh, this is great for like a day. Then I'd be like, fucking hell, give me the variety back. I'm sick of Ryan. Fucking hell. So that's, that's why getting out of binary thinking into spectrum thinking is so helpful because we just start appreciating that we're different. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. There's just different. I see it as orange where Ryan will see it as brown because we have different eyeballs. We have different brains. We have different processing systems. We have different everything. So if I get fixated that my ego goes no i am right and ryan is wrong <clears throat> fundamentally that's what's wrong with the whole entire world in terms of humanity and conflict mm. and everything because it's i'm right and you're wrong there's no respect there there's no oh i'm you know, i can't remember where i read it but it some of the lines of um being able to entertain a thought that you don't agree with is a respect of emotional is a sign of emotional intelligence mm. so Nice, right, seg nice segue there. to the emotional part, Nick. Great work. Thank you very much. Cheers. Segway king. No <laughs> ego. Ding, ding. Ego, go away. Don't make it about you. Nick Segway um, Sutherland. <laughs> the Sultan of Segways. <laughs> 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 the, um, 
the the Ram Dass video that I was watching there, the documentary, and he was talking about all these different planes of existence and everything. And I, I sat there and I, I realized afterwards that I had sat there entertaining what he was saying. I didn't put it through a black and white filter. Mm. I just went, I have no idea because I am not him. I haven't experienced what he's experienced. Who am I to say that there aren't other planes of existence? I mean, that's who am I to say that this woman wasn't a representative of his guru from India, but she was in America. I, I don't know. So sitting in our ignorance and going back to Matty Pitt, the most, you know, one of the the best sentences is I don't know. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's a, I don't know. Oh, and all of a sudden, I don't know if you, your God is real. I don't know if my God is real. I don't know anything because what the fuck is real and what's not real? Mm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, no, I, um, I totally agree. It's like we, it happens so much on the internet now. We just, and, and oftentimes on the internet, we start gravitating towards groups who have similar opinions to us and we end up in an echo chamber just reinforcing the things that we already believe, which means we all just get stuck in this rigidity you know, whereas if someone, let, let's say someone says to me, they're like, oh, you know, Ryan, I hate, I hate running group. They are. <laughs> I'm going to create a group called running exists and I'm just choosing not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if, imagine if you went into the, I hate running group and you took in there some evidence. So they've all closed their minds. You can hear how closed their mind is, right? Yeah. I hate running. That's, that's the, they've made that a, an absolute it's a, it's a definite, it's concrete. And you walk in there with this philosophy that maybe you don't hate running. Maybe you can't hate running. Maybe running just exists and you're choosing not to do it. Nah, I still fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but you look yeah, and you look at how... So let's say that there were two groups. There was one, I hate running, and then one that said, running exists, but I choose not to do it, right? Yeah. And I, if I actually... I have this thing like I have an aversion to running and I see those yeah. groups. I am jumping in the, I hate running. It's like this human nature. It's ah, like, oh, yeah. People yeah, cause like it's me. attracted. You are, it resonates with you. Yeah. So you're going to go towards what resonates with you. Christianity and Muslim. Uh, it's, that's that. I'm going to go to whatever resonates with me and I want to find my tribe. I want people who are the same as me and who agree with me because as humans, it, for some reason, it's our nature. We really struggle with things that are different. Mm. That's why racism exists. That's why sexism exists. That's why there's all these prejudices and biases and everything. It's just if it looks different or talks different or, or operates differently, then I don't fucking like it. Yeah, I think that's this uh, this need for tribes. And it's like we haven't been able to become a 8 billion a person tribe it's just we're not yeah. evolved to to do that at the minute so we try and find tribes of people who think similar to us because uh genetically we are wired to survive and we have survived most um very very well through working in groups that's why we're not the strongest animals out there i went to the um chiang mai zoo the other day and saw these lions and i'm like holy shit i'm like that if, if that thing was looking at me and i'm like it could do what it wanted with me <laughs> it would just oh. if i if i was in the savannah and i was crazy across that thing i'd be like my life and death is completely dependent on if that lion wants to fucking kill me or not there's nothing i can do about it my existence is based purely on how strong those bars are yeah exactly exactly because it looked a bit i'm like oh it would just have its way with me and anyway it's paul was as big as my head it's incredible 
<laughs> but we, well, once again, our egos come into play and go, no, we're at the top of the food chain. We're the most evolved creatures. We're the most this. And we're not. We're the most neurotic species. Yes, in yes, yes, yes. So that was, that was my point I was getting to. It's like we, we survived and were able to put lions behind bars and have people look at them as opposed to lions putting humans in a zoo and then other lions looking at them because we learned to work in groups, right? And we developed this yeah. prefrontal cortex, this social connection. But once again, all that, all that wiring is based on our survival as a species and propagation, That's, not for our peace and happiness. Really? It's just a, it's just a weight of numbers. There's more, there was more humans that became more humans than there was lions. So only because probably, we learned to work in groups. Yeah, by weight of numbers, they uh, we, we became dominant. It's like America going to war. They they win not through being a better military, but just by the sheer force of them. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm getting, I, th I think that is why we we try and find our tribes and people that agree with us because that that tribalism has helped us become dominant, but not not peaceful or happy. No way. But it's just, I think that's why we, and, and we're on the way to try and become a one big tribe as a community. I think we'll get there at some point, but right now that's why everything's split up into, you know, um, Democrats and Republicans, um, Ford or Holden, you know, all these, it's so, it's so weird to me, the Ford and Holden thing, like I was never a car guy growing up. And then I got into like my early twenties and I made some friends who were really into it and I'd sit there looking at it and they were just, fuck for they're so fucking bullshit and i'm like these are just cars that look virtually identical like it doesn't make any sense to me at all like, these these are just cars like i can understand if it was like a car and a helicopter or something we're like these are cars that look so similar like why are you that's any sense but we just want tribe we want tribe so so much but then but the, so you'd sit there and laugh at your friends at, at the fuck forwards but then you'd go to the footy that night exactly and watch yeah. north melbourne richmond you'd go fucking give piss off richmond fuck the ones in those different colors to us yeah and yeah. so, so imagine uh, so link this back to emotional health when we complain and we actually cause brain damage yeah we're we're we're, we're, we're literally damaging our brain when we complain so when when we get into that heightened state we're in that emotive state we're in that sympathetic nervous system and we're uh, we've got that that you know the um adrenaline coursing through us and it's like, yeah, it's not healthy to sit in that space for a long period of time. Every now and then, you know, once a week, go to the footy, lose your mind a little bit. Ah, oh, fucking, ah. Oh, but then, yeah, get heightened, but then come back down. But if you do, if you're operating that way every day, then it's really going to impact on that health and well-being again. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is kind of comes back to the, I, I try and walk the balance lot with the food thing, like it's fuel and it's, I enjoy it as well. And I went through a period after I had my big, you know, change and everything. And I looked at footy. I was like, what? Are, I was going through this whole period where I was questioning everything. I'm like, what are we doing? Like watching these dudes run around with a ball, trying to get through these sticks. It's so strange. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then I got to the point now I kind of leveled out where I'll watch the footy and I'll be vocal. I love, I'll scream at the table, blah, blah. As soon as the siren sounds, it's off. It's back to like, that was funny. That was chasing a football around, you know? <laughs> so I can, I can get caught up in the moment and everything, but realize that it's just a game. Whereas I know for me years ago, and I've seen people where, you know, it can ruin the start of someone's week. Like a game on a Saturday, they're still stewing about it on a Monday or Tuesday. Well, it's a trade. It's the AFL trade period at the moment. Um, so Australian rules football for those international listeners, of which there are. Hello, and um, 
Yes, and, and people are losing their minds because players are changing tribes. <laughs> and we're so deeply attached to having this person remain part of our tribe that when they leave, so many people are taking it personally. And you can hear the distortions. It's destructive thinking. I can't believe you've gone, fuck you, fuck you. Whatever. It's, it's, yeah. it's just, hope you, hope you, hope you do a hammy next season. That's it. That's the difference. It's like that this person hasn't changed at all. They're the same human being. Yet, yeah. you were screaming, going, We love you. Yeah. Then one year later, when they get they the change, ball, you know? they wear different colors yeah. and, and they change a tribe. And all of a sudden, we want, we literally want them to experience physical harm. Yeah. Oh, oh you're back. It just went off for yeah, a second. Right. I think you're back. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like, uh, remember years ago, maybe it might have been Lee Colbert, but he changed to North Melbourne from Geelong, but he was quite young. And at the end of his career down at Geelong, they'd still boo him. And I'm like, it's been like 10 years. Give him a break. He changed clubs when he was like 21. <laughs> but they're like, you left our tribe. But looking at it objectively, it's nonsensical. It just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make any It's so irrational. Yeah. So I think I, the, I, here you go. Oh, so when you had your metanoia, when you had your breakdown and rebuild, and I had the same thing, and I realised I was I was drifting away from a lot of friends and family because they couldn't relate to me anymore because I was I was looking at things so objectively, and and sitting in that space and just in this constant basically meditation where I was just observing the reality of what was and not getting heightened and everyone was like, oh, Nick's no fun to be around anymore, you know, because he's, he's not like us anymore. And it was really – so I sort of had to bring myself down. You know, Ron Das again talks about getting high and getting low and I, I had to keep bringing myself down to stay connected um, – with people who I loved because I, I just kept <laughs> kept getting high all the time. Yeah, because it's, it's hard because we spoke about how everything's happening in here, like everything that's happening in the world, and then all of a sudden, so I met metanoia or, a, or an awakening, whatever you want to call it, there's this moment, it just, it shakes up all those filters that you've had. And you might've had those filters for 20, 30, 40 years, depending on when this happens uh, for you. Um, so all of the filters have changed. So now everything in reality comes through your senses differently and renders differently in consciousness. So then again, you have to kind of work out how to relate to the world again, because yeah, like I said, you see sport, friends, family, work, the sunset, you know, the beach, everything, it looks differently. Uh, it looks different. And you have to kind of acclimatize and work out how to function as a, as a human again. Well, you, you've pulled out all these filters that you're processing everything through. You've ditched all them because you realise that they're causing a lot of discontentedness within you, causing a lot of suffering. And you found that there's these actual other filters that you can use. And, oh, and they actually, they're filters of gratitude and filters mm. of love and compassion and empathy. And they're creating this equanimous state. And you're like, oh, these filters are really nice. But you become the minority. And so... Mm when everyone else is staying in their filters because they love their filters or they don't know that there are other filters, it's hard to, you know, it's a, it's a natural, you start growing apart. Yeah. And you, you've spoken about this before on the show and I couldn't agree more with when you would go out for beers with your friends, because what happens once you've changed all those filters and someone complains, you're like, like you, all of a sudden you're just, you don't get caught up in complaining because you realize that filter is a ridiculous filter to have for your, for your mental health. So you don't partake in the complaining, which now means you're kind of 
ostracized from the tribe because that's a big part of how yeah. people connect is to complain about shit that's going on in their life. So you kind of have to work out how can I reintegrate and that so I don't get caught up in complaining myself. And there was a funny quote the other day about being woke isn't cool. It's fucking hard work because you got to keep dumbing yourself down to everyone else's level. And um, I don't necessarily agree with it in the way that it's constructed there, but it's true. When, when, when you can see so much that other people can't, you, you can, you're not operating in the same reality as them. So you've really got to keep adapting yeah. yourself. That's so. It's like we we will gravitate uh, gravitate towards people who do. We spoke about how everyone's reality is kind of an illusion, but then we gravitate towards people who have similar illusions to us. They're not the same, but they're similar. That's why we gravitate. Mm-hmm. It's like a similar kind of frequency. But then all of a sudden, our illusion completely changes. And there's like the resonance isn't quite the same as it was before. And then you're like, you have to, that's when you start to look at, you know, which friendship, when, which friendships do I want to continue with? Which ones do I maybe want to let go of or limit time with? And we have to make some changes initially. Totally. Yeah. So it's all about adapting again. And, but if we remain attached to a desire to keep these people in our life, when we find ourselves drifting away or them drifting away from us, and it's going to create more suffering. So that, that concept of being woke, if you want to call it that, is really difficult because you've got to keep uh, – you're so aware of oh, – like I'm constantly in this moving house. I'm aware of every one of my distortions. I can hear myself comparing. I can hear myself going, it's not fair. I can hear myself having an expectation that these other people should operate the way that I – and I can hear the irrationality coming through and then I'm going, well, what's the point of it? There's no, there's no purpose to this. So now I've got to get rid of it. But so I'm constantly working. (laughs) It is. It's constant work. It is. So that ignorance is, ignorance is bliss is, is, um, you know, because we can't see that there's a problem. So therefore we're not going to work on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is to an extent, you know, people hear that and go, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> well, right, let's, let's, let's talk about the spiritually. Let's we'll wrap up emotionally. I think, you know, the key takeaway is, is one that you said is really being uh, open to everyone else's experience and opinions and not be closed up and just try and find people that agree with you. Like if someone says to me, Ryan, I completely disagree with your view of addiction. I think it's a disease. Then I've got two options there. I can say, get fucked. It's not a disease that's conversations over and I go back to finding people that agree with me or I'm like, okay, awesome. Tell me it's a disease. Tell me why, tell me all of that you've learned and everything. And then we engage in a conversation and I listen to their story and I'm like, I totally understand why I think it's a disease. And so I can either then contemplate what they've said and then I can still keep my view or I can take on some of what they've said. Or at the end of the day, if I completely end up disagreeing, then I can still go, I totally respect your opinion. And I think that's fantastic. And I I know where you come from now. I haven't shut myself off to your experience. Jeez. How healthy does that sound? But it's not easy. It's not easy. That's what we call it the hard path. The hard path to happiness. To step out of our distortions. So, um, but in that as well, you're keeping an open mind. And a, a, a quick tip for people listening is when when you feel yourself getting triggered or heightened and you become aware of it, then you can just go back into, right, this is, this is, this is about me, not about the other person. This is me in a fixed or rigid mindset here. So I'm going to shift out of this. I'm just going to go, actually, what you're saying is interesting. And I, I'm going to listen 
actively to sort of learn more about what you are experiencing. I'm not going to try and impose on you my experience. I'm not going to enforce on you what what I think is right because it's also subjective. There is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. It's just you know, get out. I'm going to get out of my binary way of operating and I'm going to go into the spectrum and respect that spectrum, respect that we're all at different spaces and actually be grateful that you're in a different place on that spectrum because as Hass was saying before, it's that if, if everyone agreed with, with me, it'd be a shit boring world. <laughs> so boring. So um, let's get into that gratitude and respect and be it's, healthy. It's, it's a good one in relationship as well. I've found, you know, for myself and Melissa, no, it's, it's, it's been fantastic because all of a sudden things, let's say something comes up and things start to get heightened and we start, you know, call it an argument start an argument kind of starts based on something that's happened then we'll often sort of cut it like a bit of a circuit breaker and i'll just go okay hang on stop tell me exactly how you saw the situation and then i'll say this is exactly how i saw the situation now we understand each other's frame of reference because what happens let's say uh i don't know something happened at dinner with tommy i'm just making something up here then in my head i've got an i've got not only what i'm feeling and how i saw things but i've got a mental construct of how melissa saw things and her motivations behind the way she acted right and that's and that's completely made up by me right so when i say you know what what was your experience of what happened and she tells me pretty much a hundred percent of the time i'm like okay I had a completely different idea of why you acted that way and how you saw the situation. Now we actually know where we're both coming from. It just diffuses everything. And how can we move forward? So I had an experience with a past girlfriend and we were at the footy at the MCG for Anzac Day and there was, we had seats and there was a couple sitting next to us. Now my nature is, is I just love to talk to people and to learn about people and this couple were out of town and it was their anniversary or something and so I'm just engaging them and, and I'm operating in my way, yeah. I was ignorant or unaware that my partner at the time had all of these um, unhealed wounds, yeah, so because you know, it was pretty fresh into it. So my experience was, oh, you know, I'm buying his drinks and celebrating and sort of including her as much as I felt was necessary and, and, you know, I was having a great time. And then I felt her shift, you know, being that empath, I felt this and this, this break and this separation and I was like, oh, that's interesting. What's going on? And she wouldn't say anything, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we ended up leaving and the meltdown afterwards was just phenomenal and it was like suffering upon suffering and she was venting and pushing all over suffering onto me, calling me every name under the sun and gave her time to cool down and I tried speaking about it to her the next day and she said, I can't believe you were looking at that woman in that way. And I was like, huh? <laughs> okay. Come again? And she's like, oh, you were so focused on her. You were embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing me. Her boyfriend was really uncomfortable. And I, I started recalling the memory. I'm like, the dude wanted my number for next time he came to Melbourne. I Like the evidence said that he wasn't uncomfortable. Yeah. So I was trying to learn about her experience, but she wasn't open like you and Mella, she wasn't open to hearing new evidence, to introducing new evidence to create a different reality for her. Yeah, yeah. She, so she stayed in her experience, which was just you know, compounding this suffering. Yeah, this is uh, sad. It is sad, yeah. It brings up a, a memory for me, like years ago, 
And um, when I was in a different place and handled things differently, and it might have been the big day out actually, um, could have been the Ramshine and Tool one. Anyway, mm. there's this guy, um, I'm kind of in that group, but I wasn't the biggest fan of him anyway. Anyway, he was pretty wasted and was just sort of dancing with my my wife, and it wasn't even that bad. But I already didn't like him. And I remember I, I I went up and sort of said, you know, fuck off, kind of thing, like fucking full alpha <laughs> cockhead, right? Anyway, it's like it's it's this thing where it's like I. I, I wasn't looking at, at my ex-wife and just saying, is she having fun? Is she enjoying this? Mm. I had to act off my own jealous wound, right? Which is the thing. Wait, like, you made it about you and you took it personally. Yeah. Whereas I think now, if let's say if Mel and I went to a wedding or something and she was up dancing with another bloke and they're having a great time, I'd be like, that's like all, all I care about is the person that I love is having a great time. But then the ego wants to go, but it has to be with me. <laughs> they can only have a great time if I'm the reason for that great time. And we're, just- we're, we're, ex- we're experiencing that at the moment. So Emma was living with a housemate in her old house with her two kids. And so, you know, there's all this change. And, and in my head, I'm like, oh, we've, I've just you know, put hundreds of thousands of bucks in this new house with, with them. And, uh, yeah, you sort of paint a, a picture of what you think it's going to be like. And when the reality of what is is different to the reality of what you think it is, that creates that conflict. And so the housemate kept turning up here and they were, they were trying to carry on the same patterns here as they were there. Which which never works, yeah. Um, but I, I kept experiencing this agitation, and it was it was just oh, you're not being considerate of me, or or you're having all this fun without me, or whatever. And similarly, I had to really pull myself out and go. I I hope my partner is having fun. I love this woman. I want her to be happy, regardless of who or where or what it is. Yeah. Um, but then I kept falling into this trap of, but I hear that she's tired and I see her sitting up drinking all night. So therefore I think she should be going to bed. And it was just this real, (laughs) man, some rabbit holes. And and then that's why our romantic relationships are the biggest place for growth, but also the biggest place for uh, the reason why they're so good for growth is because they bring up all of this stuff that's, um, you know, been residing in there for God knows how long. And it's just, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you're committed to using the, the experience of relationship for that growth, then it becomes a beautiful thing. But most people are just um, trying to find someone that makes them happy. Like, listen to that. Like, how much, how much pressure is that putting on someone else? You're my source of happiness. Don't go anywhere. Well, that was with that last relationship I was telling you about at the footy. I was the source of her, hun, uh, her happiness. And then when I did things that were outside of her boxes of perfect or that make me happy all of a sudden i became the source of her unhappiness yep and i'm like fuck that i'm not hanging around for this no no and that's and that's why uh, relationships end when oftentimes people all of a sudden feel that weight at some point in the relationship like holy shit i'm completely this person's completely dependent on me for their source of happiness now mm. if, if 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 it's if it's reciprocated then the relationship will continue but it becomes a codependent relationship um yeah. otherwise that's when a relationship can end so all right let's let's wrap it up mate we're getting a bit long in the tooth here uh last one spiritually how to be healthy spiritually. I think all of what we've spoken, I think all of life is a, is a spiritual lesson. Um, you know, we're always, I think of spirituality, despite what someone's beliefs are, it's, it's about connection, connection to ourselves, connection to other people, connection to the world at large, connections to the, the mystery 
I think. And oftentimes we will label things as, as, you know, God or, you know, spirit and that kind of thing, which is the great mystery that is life. And, and that, that book that uh, you have recommended to me, which I'm reading at the minute, the master lessons of nature is really taking in all the mystery of nature and then the wonders of nature and trying to incorporate that into our life. Cause once again, there's this little sliver of what we know <laughs> about reality and most of it we don't. And sitting in that place of not knowing in that place of mystery can be very healthy for us, I believe. Yeah. I'm just looking up a meme that I saw a while ago. It was religion is belief in someone else's experience. Spirituality is having your own experience. Mm. So, we can only have our own experience when we're in the moment though. So it's that I think for me, spirituality is, is linked with, um, yeah. And all of this comes down to evolution. So continually being open, being open to change, being open to entertaining someone else's thinking or, or their philosophies, being open to getting out of your comfort zone and going, all right, well, I hate running. I'm going to go for a run and, and see if I really hate running. Can Is running something I can hate? No, oh, no, I, I, I don't like the feeling of running. I prefer, I have an aversion to that where I have an attachment to go to the gym. All right, well, maybe I'm going to try running just for a bit of fun, just to you know, liberate myself and, and see. Or maybe I'll just join the running simply exists and I choose not to club. Who knows? It's just a verb, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to go for a run after this. <laughs> I, I, I hate a verb. Poor old Shane. Uh, Shane's, Shane's... I hate a verb. <laughs> Shane, when I'm at work, I'm in work mode, you know. My mind is just constantly picking up these red flags. And Shane walked in the other day and goes, oh, I hate cleaning. And then he looked at me, he's like, oh, no. And I'm like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Sit down whiteboard out do you really hate cleaning uh and then so once again i caught him in this distortion and and he, we, you know, he's like he goes home spent some days when he's done nothing because he's uh he's just in this environment where it's just constant growth <laughs> hasn't been doing nothing then exactly isn't it funny when people go i can't sit still i hate doing nothing you are a constantly evolving creature. You you literally cannot do nothing. It is, it is yeah. impossible to do nothing. So just to sit down and realizing I'm doing something still, ah, I'm being productive. I, I am relaxing. Relaxing is doing something. Yeah. It's like we, when at the other place when one day Mel came home and told me we put, put down for a nap and she went out. And I literally, I just sat on the floor and just stared out the window for two hours. And then um, Mel came up and said, hey, what have you been doing? I'm like, I've been sitting here staring out the window for two hours. And she was like, wow, tell me about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, awesome. I could have said, oh, nothing. But it wasn't. I was yeah. sitting there staring out the window for two hours. Like, it's always, it's always something. You were spending your time, yeah, sitting out and just observing. You were observing for two hours. Yeah. And, and you start to, to notice, do? you're like, and I noticed that that plant, this bug will land on that plant and then this other bug will try and fight it and blah, blah, blah. It's always, it's always something, you know, we often find. Well, it's like the, it's like my octopus teacher, you know, he'd go and sit in, in, in that part of the, the, the ocean and just sit there and observe it on the outside. It would look like he was doing nothing, but he was in a 
deep spiritual interaction mm. with, with his environment. So, which is so yeah, that, that that word connection, just connected. We're connected, you know, to our environment, to life, can be to other people, to ourselves. Um, I think that's what what spirituality means for me. We can create different ideas and constructs about that. You know, my my soul's here for evolution through this body. It's been here before. That's all beliefs and constructs that I'm not going to know probably until I die. But it's like, I just, I think, am I in each moment, am I connecting or am I withdrawing from myself and life? And and so we, we use the terms destructive and constructive. And if we're in that, if we're in those cognitive distortions, that's a destructive thinking. If we're um, if we're being grateful and observing and mindful and considerate and everything, we're going to that constructive thinking. So, constructive equals connection. Destructive equals disconnection. Yep, yep. And also, I think from a from a sense a feeling sense point of view, because a lot of my work's in the body. It's am I am I going into an expanded state or a contracted state? Mm. Expand, contract. So it's all the same thing. It's basically am I am I opening to life or am I closing to life? And I am I observing what I'm doing, or am I having an expectation that I should be doing one or the other? Am I back in that binary thinking where in meditation it's just observing the arise arriving and the cessation of the breath? The breath is arriving, the breath leaves. And it's funny, people I, I had this thought the other day when I was I was teaching someone how to breathe, which sounds like a really odd sentence. But, um and I said, you know, we can hear how attached they were to things and they're holding on. I'm like, try and hold on to your next breath. Imagine your next breath is your job or your partner or, or someone and hold on to your next breath and see what happens. So the breath came. I hold on to it. See how, long, see how long you can hold on to it. We'll see what happens if you hold on to it. You have to let go eventually because it becomes too too difficult. So yeah. it's, it's, and you know, that's, really that's... fun. Yeah, it is fun because then it's kind of like that's how that person or that thing that you're clinging onto would feel as well. Like they're like, yeah. oh, let me breathe. <laughs> it, showed, it, it was a really fun, tiny little example of how irrational you're being. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, of course I wouldn't try and hold on to a breath. Why the fuck are you holding on to anything then? Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it comes, yeah. let it come. If it goes, let it go. Yeah. Yeah, it's also good speaking about that expansion and contra- contracted state because, like you said, we're always it's like the breath. We're in flux, and people often look for things like, "What's going to make me expand? Like, am I going to? Is that girl going to make me expand? Is that yeah, drug yeah. or alcohol?" But it's more interesting to note what makes you contract because, like, life is going to. You'll see a beautiful sunset, or you'll have a great chat with a mate, and you'll naturally expand. It's it's important to then just to notice what what makes me then contract, yeah. So that- it's it's like it's like getting high and coming down. Mm. It's contract contracting and expanding, you know, just on a different parallel. It's um, yeah. Why am I coming down? Oh, because my mind is agitated again. Oh, why is my mind agitated? Oh, because I've got these distortions going on. I've got these attachments. All oh, right, I can let them go. Boing! All of a sudden, I'm getting high again. Yeah, yeah. So that's what like for me, I noticed that. I would contract because if I got into a state of expansion and kind of joy, then a little, a feeling or a voice would be like, stop it, stop it. Like put a lid on it kind of thing. So then I, then I would contract. So if I'm like music down, singing in the thing, then I'd be like, stop it. And it'd stop. 
And I'm like, what's that? And I investigate and that was kind of my dad's voice telling me to stop showing off when I was a kid. <laughs> so like, that was still repeat. So I was, I was, I was contracting because I didn't want to show off kind of thing. So then when I was able to let yeah. that go, I can, I can remain high if I want to. I can remain expanded. I don't have to limit myself. So all very interesting. So everyone, yes. this is, I hope you have taken something out of this episode, how to be healthy, how to be healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And um, if you want any more of uh, my stories from Chiang Mai, then just let us know and I'll be happy to uh, reel off a few more. I think Ryan's going to start his own Chiang Mai podcast. <laughs> Ryan's Chiang Mai adventures, uh, uh, which, which we're going to sell as a um, formula for sleep. It's going to be yeah, a sleep meditation. I think people are loving it. <laughs> I reckon they're digging it. You haven't even released it yet. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting the vibe. I feel like I'm getting the vibe that people are. There's part of them craving some, some drawn-out happy stories. From All right, well, when we release it, we'll do a poll and see what happens. Give us some feedback, everyone, and be honest. I can take it, all right? I won't take it personally. Right, well, I got some feedback the other day saying... Um, I would like some well, stories from Ryan, if possible. We'll tell no, the podcast. The podcast is better than listening to Ram Das. Oh, oh, oh geez. That's, <laughs> high, that's high company, that is. Mm, I know, right? Oh God! All right, I'm gonna. That's. So I'm just gonna ent- me I'm up just for gonna the day. Enter- I'm gonna entertain that person's uh, belief and and just uh, play around with it. I won't let it fit into the ego. <laughs> it's I'll a appreciate it's, that it's in my ego a little bit. It's about twenty percent. I'll appreciate that they're enjoying it. Make it about them, not about us, Ryan. Yeah. All right. Uh, give us feedback right, about the stories. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna run. I'm starving. Um, I'm gonna go for okay. a run too. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. running. <laughs> All right, see you, everyone. Peace. Thank you for tuning into the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.